we, we uh, are beginning a series, it's the Lenten season. And if you're not familiar with Lent, it's this six weeks that lead up to the celebration of Easter. We kicked it off with Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and imposition of ashes. I mean, it was three below, I think, when we started our service on Wednesday night. Um, but there were some faithful folks that were here, and, and it wasn't just me, Josh, and Cindy, and Debbie. And, um, and so that, that begins this season of, of a, a long walk toward the cross, and church calendar-wise, it gives us an opportunity to think a little bit about where we're headed and where you're going and where you're ha- you know, what's happening in your heart and your life spiritually. And so from here to there is the name of the series. And before we get into it and kind of give you an idea of what that's about and, and why we're doing that, um, I feel like we should start with this. And I don't know what's happening in your life right now or what challenges you're facing right now. But I have felt for a while that this verse, for for many weeks now, has been on my heart and mind in regards to many families and many people and the circumstances that some folks are facing. And I have a feeling it might uh, be helpful for you. And so this is often overlooked and it's often missed that Jesus said this about what it means to walk with him and what the journey is like with him. And so I just want you to read it slowly with me. Um, I'll read it out loud. You can just listen. But in your heart, just allow these, these words just to soak in just a bit. Jesus said this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And that may be enough. This may be the only reason you're here in church today is to hear these words. That could be it. It could be the very thing that you need to understand that Jesus said. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is what? Light. And so before we go any further, there's just a a couple things I want you to be aware of and maybe to consider and to ponder. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever is, is happening, we, I think, if you've grown up in church world and church life and maybe walk with Jesus for a long time, we have this impression or this idea, and I don't know where we got it, and I don't know why we have it, that following Jesus is supposed to be hard. I think that's what we think. I think we often think that it's just supposed to be. I mean, don't get me wrong, life is hard. For sure, life is hard. I mean, you don't have to live very long at all or go into any week thinking, man, this is great, and then life happens. Life is absolutely hard. But when it comes to walking with Jesus, this is what he says about it. He says a lot of other things too, I know. But he says this, that my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This is what he says. And I want you to know that there are many things that we add to what it means to following Jesus that make it hard. And it's all the stuff that we add. It's the stuff that we throw on. It's the stuff that other people have thrown on us. It's the stuff that maybe Christian subculture has said, this is what it means and this is what it looks like. But this is what Jesus says about it. Now, I know, I know. He says a few other things about following him as well. But he also said this. And when we understand what Jesus said, and you read the entirety of the Gospels, then you also know this, that the harshest words that Jesus has in the Gospels are for those who 
Well, he said, tie on heavy burdens to other people or add to what it means to following him. And this is what Jesus said. So I I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. And and I, I know some of the things that some of you are going through. And I know it's hard right now. Hard in a lot of ways. But know this, that God is with you. That he will never leave you. And that he will give you all of the grace that you need to endure what you're going through right now. And it isn't God himself that's making it hard right now. Life is hard enough all on its own. And so maybe you just need to know and be reassured and and maybe just step a little bit closer into the, the realm of God's love and his mercy and know that his yoke is easy. It's easy to bear. And the burden that Jesus gives is light. And to know that deeply. That's important. And I think we needed to start there. But then I I think it's important that you also understand that that this idea of a yoke, this is representative of an idea that is all through the New Testament and especially the Gospels. Not just the yoke itself, but the idea that there is a, a language about what it means to follow Jesus. And it's even in that word to follow that is representative in this idea of a yoke and how it works and and what it's for. And if I were to say it in one sentence, it would be this simple. Life with God is all about movement, always. It's always about movement. It's it's from, from here to there. It's from this thing to that thing, this attitude to that one, this place to that place. And it's true from Genesis to Revelation, but it is deeply built in, systemically built in, to the message of all of the gospels. It's all about movement. And some of that movement, we have decided makes it hard. I mean, you know, Jesus said, look, his his first invitation to his disciples was, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come and follow me. What does that imply? Um, We're going someplace and we'd like for you to go with us. Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna walk on the what? Do, Do you know? You can say it out loud. That's right, the narrow road. And we've made, it a, we've made the, uh, the statement to be uh, that that's a hard road, that's uphill or rocky. Jesus didn't say that about the road. He just said it's narrow. And this is fine. Narrow's fine. You can walk narrow. I mean, you, sometimes you have to walk alone and single file and all that. But this is how Jesus described it because it's a place that takes you from one place to another. And this idea of a yoke has the entire image with that. We have a yoke in our house. It's way up high on a wall. It belonged to, was made by my great-grandfather. And uh, one of these trips that we made back to Kentucky, we had driven, and uh, I was sitting in my dad's garage, and it was kind of in a back corner, and I put it in the car before we came back to Colorado, before anybody knew we had it. Nobody had laid claim to it yet, but I thought, if it's just lying here, I'm just going to take it. And so now it belongs to me. And I don't even know my brothers knew I had it, except till they came out and visited us and saw it up on the wall. And said, is that, is that Columbus Prater's yoke? And we said, yep. Well, actually, now it's my yoke, but yeah, yeah, it's on the wall. And this yoke, he made and used it on his farm in eastern Kentucky. And you know what a yoke is. It's this, this piece of wood that has some, you know, humps on either side and some scallops of wood, and they 
hold either cows or oxen, beasts of burden together. And the reason they do that is because typically there's one that knows more than the other where to go and what to do. And this keeps them together, not so that they can't walk, but so that they walk together. One is going to the end of the field and the other one wants to meander aimlessly. And this yoke helps them to move from this end of the field to that end of the field and do so in a straight line so that the things that we plant grow up nicely. And this is what a yoke is for. <clears throat> when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and it's easy to bear, he's describing you being connected to him because you have said yes to come and following him. That's what you said yes to. And it means that you are going to be moving from that end of the field to that end of the field. And he wants to at least help you know how we're going to move together. We're going to till the dirt. We're going to do some planting. Some things are going to grow. Some roots are going to go down into the dirt. And this is, this is what we want. And when you read the Gospels with this lens, this understanding of movement, then it will leap off at you from every sentence in the page. And it will become abundantly clear to you that life with God is all about movement. Jesus said, follow me. Where? Down a road. And over the years of his ministry, Jesus shows this time and time again. I mean, we, we know where Jesus was born, right? He was born in Bethlehem. We know he grew up in Nazareth. But for the three years of his ministry, we have no idea what his address was because he was a nomad. He went from place to place to place. In fact, on every page, the gospel writers are saying, and then he went, and then he went, and he's describing the movement of Jesus and the disciples all throughout the region of Judea, all the way up to the north of Galilee and down to the south of Jerusalem, and in between in Samaria and across the River Jordan. It feels like every day they are moving from one place to another. And not only is this movement physical, but it's also deeply spiritual. Life with God, no matter where you look on the pages of scripture, it is all about movement. And not only is this all through the gospels, but it's through my life and through your life too. It's all about movement. We're always going somewhere. We're always coming from someplace. And in between, there's a path. Next time you have to pick somebody up at DIA, do yourself a little favor and go just a half hour early and park in the short term and then go into that middle of the concourse and just find you a seat, maybe where you have a good view of everything and just sit and watch just for half an hour. And you will sit there and after 10 minutes you'll think the same thing I thought when I did this, where in the world are all of these people coming and going too? They just keep coming. It's 24-7 almost. And it'll die down and it'll be a little bit of a lull. You've been there to pick somebody up. You've seen the, the lulls, right? And then all of a sudden a mass will come up from the escalators and you don't have to be looking for your person yet. You're there early and you can just watch. And it'll become obvious to you that life, not just with God, but life in general is all about movement. Always. It's the way it is. And this is true physically. We're always going someplace. And it's also true spiritually, emotionally, relationally. 
you have some friendships that used to be, some friendships that aren't yet, and you have some that are right now. And of course, one of our questions about the friends that we have, is this, is this a for now friend or for later friend? Or is this gonna transition at some point and we'll remember the good times we had together? Life is all about movement. And it's all about changing our circumstances as well. And think about your own life and the circumstances that have changed for you. And the places that God has taken you, not just physically and geographically, but professionally, relationally, emotionally. Some of you know that my wife Donna is an RN. She works for the Denver Hospice. And Donna has been there for over 10 years now, and she is a, a charge nurse, which means if you walk into the inpatient care center up in Lowry uh, and she's on shift, <clears throat> she's probably sitting at the charge desk, which is kind of that main desk, you know, which means everybody brings their problems to her. And, and she manages uh, 99% of her job, of course, is troubleshooting and solving problems. It's what, it's what they do. And Donna has been there a while. She's been a charge nurse for a while. And maybe, I don't know, it's been six months or so ago, her manager, her boss, the manager of the care center, left. And many people near to Donna in that proximity and in her coworkers, they said, hey, you know, the manager's gone. They're going to be looking for a manager. You know who would make a great manager? And Donna said, who? Naively. And they all said, well, you know what they said? Yeah, they said, you, you would make a great manager. And she said, I'm absolutely not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. And then her boss, boss's boss came to see her and said, you know, uh, we're going to be hiring a new manager of the care center. And, you know, we would love for you to consider. And Donna said, well, I mean, you know, everybody gets disappointed. So this is your chance to be disappointed. I'm not, absolutely, she didn't. I said that, but she was far more polite and nice about it. But she said, no, I, yeah, that's, that's not for me. That's not what I want to do. And she loves, what Donna loves about her job is that it is um, shift work. And not all jobs are like that. Some of you take your problems home from work, and she brings problems home too, but she still works a shift, and which, which means that when she leaves her shift, she doesn't have to be working anymore and answering emails and all those sorts of things. So she loves that, loves that. Then she was hanging out with some friends, and they were telling stories and talking about life transitions and how life is all about movement and things like that. And uh, Kristen Engelson told the story of... Uh, of her husband, Craig, uh, making a transition in his work to um, a senior level management role. And, and Donna felt a little poke from the Holy Spirit and a little nudge, and she ignored it properly, of course. And <laughs> Kristen told the story of Craig saying yes to this, this thing at once upon a time. And Donna slept that night and woke up the next morning and thought, oh no, I think I'm supposed to do something about this. And so now she's the interim manager of the care center. What she loved about her role before, she'd come home and she'd say, you know, this is what's going on at work. And I'd say, hey, don't forget, you know, not your circus, not your monkeys. And, um, and now when she comes home, I say, I mean, that's your circus and those are your monkeys. You know what I mean? That's just how it works. No offense to anybody that works with Donna. <clears throat> It was in that community place that, spoken into that God used somebody else's circumstances to say, I know you don't want to do this. I know you dread, you know, having parts of your life being over flooded with work. And, 
but I think this is what we need to do for right now. And Donna said, I, you know, I think, I think that's what I'm going to do. And so she did. There, there is a, a movement that happens. These transitions that you have been through in your life, these are some small, some large, some insignificant, some massive movements that we make. And you can think of some that you've made in your own life. Uh, some of you, this year, you've gone from working to retired. And you think, I can't believe that I had time to work. Now that I'm retired, I feel like I want to go back to work so that I can have some time off. Because you've picked up so much in your life, in your world. And yet some of you have gone from working to retired and you think, I don't even know what to do with with my purpose, I'm not sure. Maybe you feel a little bit aimless, and some of you are in between. These are the transitions. Life is all about this kind of movement. Some of you this year have gone from employed to searching, and you've wondered, Lord, what are you up to? Where are you leading me? Where are you guiding me? What opportunity is gonna come my way? There's some in our church body and our friends and our families this year, they're gonna go from single to married. They're gonna celebrate a day and receive gifts and middle of counseling, they think and ponder, what is God up to in my life and how is he going to bring us together and help us to become one flesh? And yet there are some of our friends and our family that are going to go the other direction from married to single and they're thinking other things like, you know, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know this was going to be a part of my story. I don't know what to do where I'm at or thank goodness God has delivered me from a circumstance that I've been stuck in for so long. So much of this winter, many of us have been wanting to move from sick to healthy. And the number of people that have dealt with a variety of sicknesses from small to severe that we know, even this week, I feel a cold coming on. I think, uh, here we go. I mean, you can probably hear my voice. You know, is, this, is this one that's going to put me down for a week or am I just going to linger with this one for another six weeks, right? This is how it feels all winter long. And even in moving from sick to healthy, there are some of us that have moved from healthy to unsure. We're not sure what's going on. We're un, we're, I don't know how to approach this. We've been praying this week for a few dear people in, in our church family and our friends. Um, Josh's mom is actually in the States. She got a new knee this week which is amazing. It's great. She's watching online today uh, and probably a little high. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's Canadian, so it's all good. Um, but, but in the midst of, in the midst of feeling unsure about all of that, she now has to recover and go through it. We've been praying for the Havercates all week long. Marianne uh, going through a back surgery and some questions of uh, how is this going to go? Is it, is it going to turn out well? And as we hold all these people near and dear, we know that there is a transition that is happening in their life. And that transition brings about all kinds of opportunities for us to either trust God more fully or maybe withdraw a bit and be a little bit reluctant to trust God. Or maybe we're more open or maybe we're more closed. The temptation to move towards bitterness or distance from God. Every one of these transitions we're describing. Some of you have moved from a full house to an empty nest, and some of you have gone the other way. You went from an empty nest to a full house, and they all came back, and some people are jealous of your full house, and some people are jealous of your empty nest. 
And some of these transitions sound foreign to some of you. And some of them resonate deeply with some of you. But regardless, what is true, over and over, life with God is all about movement. Now here's the thing about that. These movements that happen in our life and these transitions, you've had many, there's many, many more to come. These movements are all kinds of things, physical, emotional, relational, but there's a deeply spiritual component to every one. And in that spiritual component, as we make these transitions, there's an opportunity for us to make a move towards God, open, more trusting, as we said, or we go through them and become distracted, unaware, hardened, distant, withdrawn. This is why over the last several weeks we've given you this this prayer of examine, for example. This is why we've encouraged you to lean into a habit that regardless of what's happening in your life, you're open with God and you lay it before him every day and you say, well, Lord, this is where I felt close to you. This is where I felt distant from you. This is where I sense you are moving. This is where I sense that I'm, I'm resistant to what you're doing, Lord. And a daily habit of allowing your heart to sit quietly before God, then you begin to sense how God loves you how his burden, in fact, is easy and light, how his yoke is not a burdensome thing at all. All of these things help you move in a good direction and good places. As we do this through the Lent season, we're gonna take all four gospels and begin at this moment in time when Jesus begins to make his turn toward Jerusalem for the very last time. And here's what you're gonna see that life with God is all about movement, not just physically and geographically toward Jerusalem. That's part of it, of course. And it's metaphorical too, Jesus moving toward Jerusalem. But here's what you'll see is that even with the disciples and all those present in those parables that Jesus tells, he's talking about this movement and where we're headed and the changes that can happen in our heart that can either put us in a distracted, distant place, a hardened, bitter place, or maybe a selfish, jealous place or in a place that is open and willing and ready to walk in the places where God is with us. And that very thing happens the moment, the very moment Jesus says he's on his way to the city. It's in Matthew, real quick today. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and again, this is in all four Gospels, this this point in time near the end of the ministry of Jesus where he makes his way toward Jerusalem. We'll talk about why that is and how that all happens. But as he's getting ready to head toward Jerusalem, he wants the disciples to know what to expect when they get there. And so Jesus explains, he says this. So he's on the way and he took the 12 aside, the 12 disciples, and he said to them, this is what he explained. Look, hey, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Now, in most of the Gospels, Jesus gives this prediction and helps them understand what's going to happen. And he does so incredibly plainly, but he does it multiple times. In Matthew, this is the third time he's done it. And he wants them to know, hey, this is what's going to happen. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be shocked. 
And I wish for most of the circumstances of our life that God would do that for us, don't you? Wouldn't that be great? If he came alongside you and whispered and said, hey, look, I know you're going into work today. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get fired. Don't worry, don't worry. It's all good. Just, you know, endure it. You know, smile, high five your boss. Whatever you wanna do is fine. But a new job's coming. It's gonna take a while. You're gonna be laying on your mortgage just once, but it'll, it'll come together. So would you just relax and this is what's gonna happen. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? But he doesn't do that. You walk in, you don't see it coming. And these transitions is where we have a chance to trust God. Here's what's going to happen next. Life is going to test you. And you're not going to know what to do. And you're going to question the people around you. You're going to question what God is up to. You're going to say his burden is light. For who? Not for me right now. Right now it's heavy. And God wants you to know that he is with you and that he will not leave you. And this is why he says this to the disciples. He says, look, I know it's gonna be weird. We're going to the city. And I know it's been popular. I mean, they love us out there in the, you know, in the desert and the hills. We feed them and we heal people. But we're going into the city and it's gonna get ugly. And they're gonna take me. They're gonna arrest me. They're gonna kill me. I mean, you know, good news. I'm coming back to life, but this is gonna be hard. It's going to be really hard. And in fact, even though Jesus is raised from the dead, for the disciples, it gets harder after that. Not easier. It gets harder. So Jesus explains this. And then the jockeying begins with the disciples. This is what happens when things get unsettled. This is what happens when pieces start to move. Or this is what happens at work when a manager leaves and everybody's thinking who's you know who's gonna rise to this level this is what happens with you and your family when somebody passes away and leaves an inheritance and nobody's read the will yet all the jockeying begins what's going to be mine and in the middle of that here's what happens next so the mother of Zebedee's sons you remember their names what are their names James and John right the fishermen they came to Jesus with uh, the mother came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of them. Now, I, I don't want you to go past this too quickly. They're all there. They're heading to Jerusalem. James and John, the other disciples are there. And there were lots of women that hung around Jesus that were his disciples as well, just like the men, just listed differently in scripture. But we understand it differently now. And one of them was James and John's mother. And she's there. Now, James and John are not 12 or 13, okay? These are probably young men, but they're, you know, well into beyond adolescence. And the mother is with them. And I don't know how, when you're that age, you put your mother up to something like this. But she comes and makes this request, no doubt, I think, at James and John's urging. And she comes to ask Jesus a question. And not only did they get their mom to do this, for goodness sakes, they went with her when she asked. I mean, I wouldn't have even done that. I would have been like, hey, go talk to Jesus. I'm going to be back over there somewhere. Let me know what he says. But I'm going to pretend like I have nothing to do with this. I have a question. I need a favor. What is it you want, he asked, which is the question that Jesus asks you every day of your life. And he asked it of the mother. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine, she didn't even specify which one, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. 
Why would she ask that? Well, they're going to Jerusalem. They anticipate that the Roman government will be overthrown. They probably think that Jesus' depiction of an arrest and a beating and a crucifixion and a resurrection was all metaphorical. And that Jesus really is coming as God's own king. And Rome will be overthrown. Jerusalem will be given back to the Jews. And everything will be set right. So there's going to be some vindication here on the part of the Jewish people. And Jesus will reign as the king of the Jews. And that's what she asks. Well, it's overheard. It's overheard by the other disciples. And when the turn, 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And you can imagine what kind of discussion ensued then. They were just mad. They didn't have their mom handy to ask for them. <laughs> it's these transitions of life when the pieces are shuffling, when the inner hoarder comes out. And none of us like to think that we're hoarders until it feels like everything's starting to get scarce. When there are winners and losers in the room, we want to be sure we're a winner. God, if you're handing out favors, I just, you know, I'm glad if everybody gets theirs, I just want to be at the front of the line. I want what's coming to me, and then it's fine. Everybody else can have theirs, but I would like mine for me and the people that I love, I guess, but mostly me. And when this happens and our hoarder instinct kicks in, self-preservation takes over, Jesus sees all of this happening among the disciples. He, heard, he hears the request, and then he gives them a movement. He suggests to them a place to move. I see where you are right now, and I'm going to suggest that you move a certain direction. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says this. He calls them all together, all 12 of them. Nobody's missing this. This is really important. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he says this. Say it with me. What does he say? Not so with you. I know that you think in terms of authority. And I know that you think in terms of who gets to make the decision and who is making the decision for whom. This is not the case with you. I know that your entire life is this way. Your workplace is this way. Your family is this way. Many relationships that you have are this way. There is somebody in charge and somebody not in charge. And the person in charge gets to make the decision for everybody involved. And Jesus says, I know that you're going to be tempted to live in a world where control and power and authority are normal. And there's, it's hard for you and I to imagine a world where that is not normal. Not the order of the day. The world you operate in is like that. And if you don't operate that way, then you were naive and you get sacked. Right? And Jesus says, it's not this way with you. Your values are different. Are they? I mean, some days. Your priorities are different. It's not so with you. What you want needs to be a bit different. If you're going to play by these rules of authority and power, then you have to play that game. And Jesus says, we're not going to play that game, disciples. Our approach is different. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be 
I lost my place. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus says this, he's inviting them to take their values, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their need for control and lay it down. He's saying, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to move from great to servant. This is the move I want you to make. This is what the movement is. If you're going to be buried to my yoke, if we're going to move down the field together and we're going to plow the same ground, this is what I want you to do. And I know what you're thinking. That sounds, that sounds terrifying. I thought you said following Jesus wasn't hard. No, no, no. I, I didn't say that. I said Jesus' yoke is not heavy and his burden is not hard. And this is true. You tell me. Which is harder, to be in control or to serve? Uh, When you're in control, you do get to make decisions for yourself and for other people. Anybody that's ever been a leader knows that what they thought about being a leader before they became a leader sounded amazing until they, what? Became a leader. That is a heavy yoke. That is a heavy burden. Control, sure. Over the lives of other people, you don't really want that. Jesus says, I want you to move from being great to being a servant. I want you to move from first to last. This is what it means to engage in the very economy of God. This is what it means to win in terms of Jesus way in his life. It's moving from this, from what I want to how can I help. And when the disciples are faced with this proposition of going to Jerusalem and feeling like now there's going to be a pecking order in our life, now there's going to be a winner and a loser, the fight to give up control is the fight that Jesus has invited you to take part in. The desire to love and to serve and to place others first from what I want to how can I help. That is a different life mission than anything else. And so this journey, Lenten journey towards Easter, this is the movement you're being invited to make. It's the very first movement that takes place when Jesus and the disciples start making their way to Jerusalem how can I help? And so you might say, okay, that sounds great in church, but God has given me the responsibility of being in control. Oh, then you have an even bigger responsibility then to ask this question knowing that you've been given authority. Peter had authority, so did James, so did John. You read the book of Acts and it becomes abundantly clear that they were going to lead and serve the people differently than those who use control and authority to rule. Some of you are caregivers for people in your life. And when you ask this question, are you kidding? This is the order of my day. I don't get what I want ever. This is the story of my life. Your question is a little bit different if you're a caregiver. And it's this, how do I allow God to fill me up so that I have something to give when it's time for me to help? That's different. It is. But you know more about what it means to serve and love than most of the people around us. And so, what area of your life 
What relationship, what setting comes to mind when you see this movement? Is it home for you? Is it work for you? Is there a friendship that you've been more of a taker than a giver to? Where is the spot specifically in your life where you need to ask, how can I help? And when we do that, God meets us and we find out that his burden is not heavy. His yoke, his yoke is not heavy. And we walk with him and the ground is tilled and seeds are planted and a harvest of love and mercy and grace is abundant. This is what we want and it's what you're being invited to. So here's the question we'll ask as we pray together and wrap up and it's this question. Where is the spot where God wants you to ask that question? How can I help? Let's take a moment and do a little examine, all of us together, online as well, in your houses. Let's pray together. Lord, there are some spots in our lives where we are tempted to use uh, control and authority or our position or our, our relational street credit, whatever it is, Lord. For some of us, it's in our family. It's easier to say things like, because I said so. For some of us at work, because of our role or our position, our unique place in these relationships, we get to, well, what we say goes. Lord, just illuminate for us the, the places where this question would be a different question, one that we don't normally ask. Lord, help us to make a movement in that direction this, this week. As we move in that direction, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to set aside our ego. Lord, it is, in fact, our ego that does make following Jesus far more difficult. To set aside our control issues and at least be openly honest about them. To set aside what we want because we know we're right. And instead, open-handedly, ask how we can help and serve. Lord, we do not take Jesus' words lightly that we've read today. Not so among you. And so may we measure our success this week, not by what we get done or how we move the, the process forward or May we judge how well this week goes based on how well we serve, how we place others first. Lord, for those in our church family that are caregivers, would you give them special insight so that they can have their, 
their buckets of compassion and love filled up by you in very unique ways so that they have something to give when the time comes. And Lord, if there are folks among us that are running on empty, would you just give them what they need, fill them up? May they have a sense of your provision in their life. Lord, may you spur gratitude deep within their heart for the ways that you have shown your love to them so that there is something to give in return. And Lord, for each one of us here in this place as we have gathered today, we recognize that your love is enough for every one of us, that we have been loved, forgiven, that grace has been poured out on us, that even when life hasn't gone the way we thought it should go, you were still with us in the middle of it. You have been preparing us and guiding us and leading us and holding us together. For it is in you that we live and move and have our very being. And so for the sunshine today and the the glimpse of spring that we see, we are grateful. But more than all of that, Lord, we're grateful that Jesus has redeemed us and forgiven us and put us in a right relationship with you, Lord. And so today we give thanks and we praise you for that. And we declare that this is good and it is all we need. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And we say together, amen.